Well, every blessing to you all and welcome back to my open air pulpit. One degrees Celsius with the wind chill. It's around zero degrees Celsius. And as you can see, the snow has all gone. The ice has evaporated. And as of right now, there isn't any rain in the air. So praise the Lord. Let's continue, if we may, while it is still dry, although bitterly cold, working our way through the Word of God, looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, which is referred to as Christology. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and this came to me this morning, I thought what a wonderful verse or two to read to set the context, set the tempo for this morning's message. 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 3 if you will. For the time will come when they will not endure sound a doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap themselves teachers, having itching ears. This is aimed at the church. This is aimed at the body of Christ. Paul isn't aiming this at the world. John 17, the Lord said he wasn't praying for the world. He was praying for those that the Lord gave him. In the context, the apostles, chosen for service, not salvation. Elsewhere, he speaks about the sheep that he came to lay his life down for, in reference to believing Jews, believing Gentiles, and we refer to such as those that would appropriate the atonements. And here Paul is speaking about the church, the body of Christ, professing Christians. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We've got it right now. Right now. People are attacking dispensationalism. People are attacking the Trinity. And these two groups are coming from the King James community, believe it or not. And they are mocking the pre-tribulational rapture. And they are mocking the Trinity. But let me say this very briefly, if I may, that when it comes to people like Derby, people like uh, Larkin, people like uh, Schofield, those guys rediscovered lost truths. Like the Reformers, rediscovered justification by faith. Of course, justification by faith has always been around. Jesus Christ told us how the gates of hell would never prevail, would never overcome the church. There's always been a believing remnant over the past 2,000 years. There's always been Christians that believed, retained and preached biblical truths. But officially, at a state level, like the Reformers, rediscovering justification by faith and Derby, ex-Church of Ireland, rediscovering the rapture, Christ's premillennial reign, which the early church all believed and taught for 300 years, and Schofield, Larkin, and other guys, real Bereans, and they were told to do so. They were commended by the Apostle Paul from Acts chapter 17. Those guys rediscovered biblical truths, and it became official. It was taught and promoted on a mass scale. <clears throat> but it's always been around. The reformers rediscovered faith alone, which is also being attacked by certain professing King James people and people like Darby and others, ex-church people, rediscovered the rapture and premillennialism. Verse 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Eyes to see, but cannot see, ears to hear, but cannot hear. And it's so tiring having to reach out to these people, not so much the ringleaders, whether anti-dispensational or anti-trinitarian, 
they've been given over to a reprobate mind. You can't reach those people. But trying to reach out to their disciples, trying to plead with their disciples, going back to what Jude tells us. Some have compassion, save them, don't even touch the garments which they are wearing, pluck them from the fire, slight paraphrase. And we try to reach out to those people, those of us which have teaching ministries, we try to present the rapture and the Trinity, of course. And by the grace of God, people are turning from such bigotry, such phobia, such hatred, whether it's the rapture or the Trinity, and coming back into a more healthier and biblical relationship with the Lord. For the time will come, and we've got it right now, when they, the body of Christ, professing Christians, will not endure sound a doctrine. That's a wonderful word, sound a doctrine. A lot of Christians don't want sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, old natures, if they are saved, shall heap to themselves teachers, plurality of them, not just one or two, but plurality of them, having itching ears, going back to what Peter told you, mockers, scoffers, in the last days, coming along and saying, where is the return? When is he coming back? All things continue since the fathers fell asleep. Another slight paraphrase, but Peter, I believe, is prophesying about those in the last days that would mock the rapture, the pre-tribulational rapture. And here, it's my belief that Paul is dealing with those that mock the Trinity. Turn away the ears from the truth, going back to unbelieving Israel. But here, this is aimed at the church, professing Christians, and shall be turned unto fables, like modalism. The belief that God is three parts, not three persons, a ridiculous belief, long dismissed, 1800 years ago, by some brilliant brains, and now it's been regurgitated, rehashed, by those from the King James community. The level of apostasy is deepening every single day, and Paul told you it would come, and so too did uh, Peter. Turn away the ears from the truth, going back to the Jews, rejecting Jesus, but here Paul is speaking to the church and about the church, concerning the church, that are going to turn their backs on sound doctrine and go into apostasy. I shall be turned unto fables. So false teachers, false teachings, fraudulent beliefs, fake news. Modalism is fake, it's fraudulent, it's fake theology. And many of these teachers that are regurgitating such filth, such heresy, are either unsaved or completely out of fellowship with the Lord. And those that are attacking dispensationalism, mocking the rapture, going back to what uh, Peter mentioned from 2 Peter chapter 3 from memory, they too are either unsaved or have lost their minds. <clears throat> we will never know for sure, this side of heaven, whether or not these people are saved. But I'll tell you something, when you get the nature of God wrong, you get everything wrong. You get God wrong, you get the gospel wrong, you get the gospel wrong, you get salvation wrong, you get salvation wrong. People go to hell. That's what Galatians chapter 1 is all about. And that's why the Apostle Paul, as an apostle, will put a curse on those that would preach another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. For the time will come when they will not endure, they will not endure, they won't endure, sound doctrine, 
going back to Acts chapter 17, study the scriptures, check out Paul, check out Apollos, check out Peter for today, check out your favorite teacher, preacher, evangelist. But after their own lusts, shall they heap themselves the teachers having itching ears? Peter says how they would deny the only Lord God that bought them, 2 Peter 2.1, make merchandise out of gullible people, going back to these preachers that are always asking for money with their begging bowls. No shame. No shame at all. Need money for this? Need money for that? Or they had their DVDs and their recordings, MP3s, and they charge a lot of money to purchase these DVDs, these uh, MP3s. They copyright their materials to make more money out of their materials and Peter had their number back in the day and so too did Paul so turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables fake news fake teachers false theology fraudulent characters go to Luke chapter 3 so last week we looked at Matthew and Mark and I need to go back to Luke very briefly and look at verse 38 from Luke chapter 3 just to tie a few loose ends up if I may. Luke 3:38, which was a son of Enos, which was a son of Seth, which was a son of Adam, which was the son of God. So Luke dealing with the Lord's genealogy is going to trace Jesus Christ right back to Adam. Matthew is going to trace the Lord Jesus Christ right back to Abraham and John is going to trace the Lord Jesus Christ right back to the Father. But if you're not a King James Bible believer and another group that have never really gone away would be the Alexandrian cult that like to mock. King James Bible believers like myself are in a difficult situation when it comes to exegeting this verse, the Son of God in reference to Adam because in the New Bibles it says for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son one and only son and yet you go to Luke 3.38 Adam is called the son of God and Christians say how do we harmonize this how do we deal with this and I've seen Muslims over the years quote Luke 3.38 at Speaker's Corner especially to most Christians because most Christians don't believe in the King James Bible. It's been ridiculed, it's been made to look like an archaic book and they mock the King James Bible, they mock the rapture, they mock the Trinity. Birds of a feather flock together and I've seen these Muslims over the years put Christians on the spot. Well, Adam's called the Son of God, Luke 3.38. Jesus is called God's one and only Son, John 3.16. Can you explain it to me, they say. And of course, without the King James, you're stuck, aren't you? Because in the King James, the word begotten makes all the difference. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus Christ was begotten. Adam was created. Adam came from the ground. The Lord Jesus Christ came from heaven. Something as simple as begotten, monogenes, only found in the King James Bible, makes all the difference in the world. Which was a son of Enos, which was a son of Seth, which was a son of Adam, which was the son of God. So Luke traces him right back to Adam. 
Son of Man. Jesus Christ was the Son of Man. Jesus Christ had a human mother. Mary was a daughter of Adam. Jesus Christ was a son of Adam, linked back to Mary. Mary was a daughter of King David. Joseph was also a son of David. So the Lord Jesus Christ's mother has a physical link back to Adam and a spiritual link back to King David. And yet she was a physical descendant <coughs> of David and also Adam. And so too was Joseph, the Lord's stepfather, son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. So Adam, yes, is called the son of God in the sense that he was created. Angels are called sons of God in the sense that they were created in time. Going back to the ridiculous belief from Genesis 1:26, how the angels were somehow helping Elohim in the creation of mankind. They were created in time, finite beings. And Israel is also referred to as the Son of God, the firstborn of God. Whereas Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. Go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Look at verse 21, if you will. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Lord of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ is referred to as the Lord from heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You speak to a modalist, they say, well, it's quite simple. Jesus Christ is God's body. They say that God's spirit is the Holy Ghost. And God is the soul. And they feel that does justice to explaining who God is and what God is. This was dealt with 1,800 years ago. Modalism has been dealt with and refuted 1,800 years ago. And yet here we are in the last days... The rapture, we believe, is imminent, and it's reappeared. I mean, you would have thought this would come from the camp of the cults, the Charismatics, the Pentecostals. But no, it's coming from the King James community. Old men, preordained before, would creep in unawares, denying the only Lord God, draw disciples away unto themselves, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit, his own spirit. Jesus Christ was a triune being, body, soul, and spirit. Three parts to his personage, if you will. Son of man, in relation to Adam. Son of David, in relation to Abraham. Son of God, in relation to God the Father. <coughs> Excuse me. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit. It's always nice when he would rejoice. And from memory, this is the only time that he would rejoice. Most of the time he was a man, an emotional man. It says in one case, in one part, John 11, how he wept and how he was grieved. It says elsewhere how he was angry and got the whips out. But here he is rejoicing. And here the second member of the Trinity 
not God's body being the Father's body, but the second member of the Trinity. Listen, this is kid stuff. Going back to those of you which went to Sunday school, you were told this at Sunday school. How God is the Father, how God is the Son, how God is the, is the Holy Ghost. Father, Son and Holy Ghost. And you were taught this as children. And yet some of you have been deceived, beguiled. Some of you have lost your minds. Some of you on the brink of spiritual suicide. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Second member of the Trinity, speaking to the first member of the Trinity, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, like anti-Trinitarians. They are oneness people, modalists, Unitarians, trying to line up with the Jews, who are also oneness, Unitarians, and so too are the Muslims. What do these people have in common with unbelieving Jews and Muslims? Has revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. So here the Lord Jesus Christ is rejoicing that unbelieving Israel is outside of God's reach, if you will, have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, going back to Isaiah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Eyes to see, but cannot see, ears to hear, but cannot hear. And the Lord turns around and says to his father, well, let them be, father. If they want to follow their, their father, the devil, into hell, so be it. Let them go into hell. And I'm going to focus on my church, believing Jews, believing Gentiles. And here he's almost mirroring Psalm chapter 2. Why do the heathen imagine a vain thing? Why do they rage? Why are they angry? What does Proverbs, is it 1, say? Proverbs 1, how the Lord will have them in derision, mock them, laugh at them. When they call unto him or call unto him, he won't receive them. He won't hear them. That's a picture of God laughing in the face of people that are about to go to hell forever. All things, verse 22, are delivered to me of my Father. My Father. And no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father. And who the Father is but the Son. And he to whom the Son, the only begotten Son of God, will reveal him. So Jesus Christ was begotten. Very God, very man. First Timothy chapter 3 says how God was manifest in the flesh. The word of God became flesh. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Adam was created. Yes, upright perfect, decent, but he was a created being. Angels were and are created beings, finite beings. But the Lord Jesus Christ is God's only begotten Son. Thank thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent. Bit of sarcasm there, going back to these people thought they were wise, like the Greeks that seek after wisdom, contrast that to the Jews that would consider a crucified Messiah as a joke, a stumbling block, and therefore has revealed them unto babes. He would say, you have to humble yourself as a child, 
to be saved. And as a child, you can grasp justification by faith. I'm sure you can. As a child, you can understand a father and a son. I'm sure you can. It makes better sense to think of a father and a son relationship than it does a body and a soul. A body, a soul and a spirit. My body speaking to my soul or my soul speaking to my spirit. That makes no sense. And when you preach that sort of a message, people think you've lost your mind. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. So let him be. Let him be, he's saying. If the Jews want to reject me, let it take place. Allow it to be just that. That's what the term Amen means. Let it be. If they want to go to hell forever, it can be arranged. If they want to eject the Trinity, Second Timothy, 4, 3, 4 and 5, let it be, it can be arranged. If they want to mock the rapture, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, Second Peter chapter 3, let it be, it can be arranged. I'll mock when they call upon me, I will have them in derision. It says how he sits in the heavens laughing at the world. Go to chapter 12. So the apostasy has continued to uh, grow. Peter told us this would happen. Paul told us this would happen. And once the rot uh, starts to take hold, it's very difficult to reverse it. 12.8 Also, I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. In a sense, this goes back to James chapter 2, which the heretics also love to run over to. You say this, well, you're saved by your faith in Christ alone. And they run over to James chapter 2 and say, but it says over there, faith without works is dead. Or you say, well, we're saved, once saved, always saved. And you give them uh, Romans 8, 28, 29, 30, right down to what, 34, 35, 36. They say, well, it says over in Philippians to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. These people are like jelly. You can't tie them down. Or you take them to John 5, 24, how you've got everlasting life. You pass from death unto life. And they take you over to... Uh, Matthew 7, 21 to 23, but it says, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And he says how he never knew them. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You can't tie these people down. Basically, you've got three camps that are attacking sound doctrine. Anti-rapture crowd, anti-trinitarian crowd, anti-eternal security crowd. And here the Lord is speaking to, in the context of Israel, to confess him, to call in his name. That's what... Romans 10 is all about, whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For a Gentile, that deals with their, or his or her, way of appropriating the atonement. But for the Jews, they had to be identified with Jesus. Going back to Acts chapter 2. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, in reference to once you are saved, that's what James 2 is all about, not in order to be saved, you understand. Him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God, at the judgment of course. But he that denieth me before men, going back to 
Romans chapter 4, once you believe on the Lord, he sees your heart. And of course, if you haven't believed on the Lord, then you are, you are still an unsaved person. And as a result, shall be denied before the angels of God. So angels of God are created beings in heaven, seraphims, ter uh, cherubims, and basic angels. So you've got three types of angels, seraphims, cherubims, and bog-standard angels. And no, that's not a reflection of the Trinity. Let's not get carried away. There's no analogy to really explain of the Trinity. But angels are created. And they were created in time to observe Elohim concerning the creation of the world, the livestock, and the crowning glory, mankind. Mankind, of course, made in the image of God. Go to chapter 17, please. Luke chapter 17. Those of us which are premillennial need to take a stand against anti-dispensationalism. Those of us which are Trinitarian need to take a stand against anti-Trinitarians. And those of us which are uh, defenders of once saved, always saved, referred to as eternal security, need to take a stand against conditional security heretics. There's only one salvation in the Bible, eternal salvation, everlasting life. There's only one God, and that's three persons, not three parts. And one day he will come back for his church, being the rapture, not at the end of the tribulation, but before the tribulation. I mean, the thought of the church going through the seven years, dodging the Antichrist, dodging the false prophet, dodging the mark of the beast, making it through the seven-year period. I mean, as of right now, the church is in a terrible state. Carnal, backslidden, itching ears, denying the truth, going back to Second Timothy 3, 4 and 5. And the thoughts of the church in its current state, surviving the tribulation is somewhat of a joke. And therefore going through the tribulation, ducking and diving, being able to escape the Antichrist, the false prophet, the mark of the beast, for the Lord to say, take the church out, take us up, back down, to rule and reign for a thousand years. What's the point of that? What's the point of the church going through the seven years, surviving, to be raptured, caught up, marriage supper of the Lamb, this is what these people believe, and are coming back to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ for one thousand years. We are removed before the tribulation. And when it takes place, the judgment seats of Christ on a mass scale for the body of Christ, marriage supper of the Lamb during the seven years, and then right at the end of the seven years we come back with Jesus Christ, Revelation 19, to rule and reign with him. This isn't difficult to comprehend, but for some people they've made it impossible to grasp. Luke 17 Look at verse 24. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. Son of Man. Eighty times Jesus Christ refers to himself as the Son of Man. Forty times he refers to himself as the Son of God. And... I should have checked this, but I'm guessing now that the term and title Son of David 
appears maybe 10, 11 or 12 times. Most of the times when we read about the title Son of David, it comes from the mouths of those that were seeing him. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. In the context, Israel, also going back to uh, how the priests would uh, sell him out, the scribes uh, would uh, sell him out. Chapter 18, uh, chapter 18. And also keep in mind that verse 24 is dealing with the second coming, not the rapture. There's no signs to predate the rapture. But there'll be many signs for those on the earth to be aware of the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1835, and it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a blind man sat by the wayside begging, and hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by, and he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me, son of David. Most of the time when that is found in the scripture, it comes from beggars, uh, people that were blind or deaf, uh, people that society doesn't have much time for. Never once did the, ch uh, did the children of Israel, the leaders of Israel, call Jesus Christ the son of David. And when he was referred to as the son of David, they hated him for it. They despised him for it. And when he called himself the Son of God, that too was a real problem for them. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And he said, Lord, 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 that I may receive my sight. What do you want me to do for you? How can I help you? Now he knew what the man wanted. He wasn't limited in his understanding, go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam, where art thou? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. This man needed to be saved, and here he wants physical healing. What he's trying to do is draw out from him what he wants to allow his apostles to see the glory, the majesty of God, and also unbelieving Israel to see what is taking place in order to be saved. And on top of that, to give God the glory. Lord, that I may receive my sight. Going back to how they had eyes but could not see, and ears but could not hear. And here this man is blind in a physical sense. But today a lot of Christians are spiritually blind. Anti-Trinitarian, anti-the rapture, anti-the King James Bible, anti-once-saved-always-saved. And Jesus said unto him, verse 42, Receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. You saw me coming, or you heard me coming. You knew that I was coming. And you called me the son of David. I mean, that's a tremendous statement for a blind man. Son of David? The thief on the cross, Lord? Remember me when you come into your kingdom? It says other people, the common people, heard him gladly. Jesus Christ had almost no trouble getting normal people saved, but the intellectuals, the so-called scholars, the so-called irreverent fathers, they were a tough bunch to reach. And immediately he received his sights and followed him, glorifying God. And other people, when they saw it, 
gave praise unto God. So son of man, son of David, can do miracles. Son of man, son of David, can forgive sins. Son of man, son of David, can read people's thoughts, their minds. Son of God has a direct link to God the Father. And next time we'll look at that from the Gospel of John. 1937. 1937. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And they probably thought this, he's arrived. He's finally arrived. We've waited thousands of years for the Messiah to arrive. He's going to initiate the Davidic kingdom. That's what Acts chapter 1 is all about. Lord, when will you restore the kingdom? He's finally arrived. He's going to wipe out the Romans, that fake king, Herod, that fraudulent leader, imposter. He's going to annihilate his enemies. But of course, they didn't realize that he's also the suffering savior, son of Joseph, not just son of David, who would put his enemies down, would be brutal. But 38 again, blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Almost word for word from Luke chapter 2 concerning the angels which were in heaven, rejoicing in the birth of the king, of the angels, king of the Jews, God's only begotten son. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to man, so on and so forth. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Judas would call Jesus Master, never once would he call him Lord. And here the Pharisees, jealous and also somewhat perplexed as to why so many people would be flocking to the Messiah, call him Master. In a sense, they are publicly being polite. Elsewhere, it says they were fearful of the people, could have been stoned. There were several occasions when people on a mass scale were rejoicing in the marvellous works and uh, words that the Lord would do and could have turned against the Pharisees. So they call him Master, I guess, for today, when things get a little hairy on the streets and we are speaking to unsaved people to keep the peace, we may refer to somebody as sir or madam, just to de-escalate it. And I think here the Pharisees are trying to de-escalate it. Master, Rabbi, rebuke thy disciples. 21, 25. 21, 25. So the Synoptic Gospels portray the Lord Jesus Christ from the standpoint of Son of David, Son of Man. Gospel of John portrays the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And next time we will look at Jesus Christ as a Son of God. Twenty-one, 
25. And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations, with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Hasn't happened yet. And like I say, those that attack dispensationalism like to mock the imminency of the Lord's return. They like to mock the millennial reign. It may have been uh, John Calvin who said it was a childish belief to hold to the belief of a thousand year reign rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet the early church believed it, up until Augustine, who changed everything. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Son of Man, not Son of David. Son of Man, not Son of God. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh in reference to tribulational people, those that will get saved after the rapture, not only at the church. Revelation chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, John chapter 14, we're out of here, we're gone. We've been caught up to the Lord. Here, speaking about those on the earth that get saved, thanks to perhaps the two witnesses, perhaps 144,000, but not as far as the church is concerned. Going back to the ridiculous belief how the church goes through the tribulation, is caught up right at the end of the seven years, has a judgment seat, has a marriage supper of the Lamb, and then goes right back to earth, comes right back down to earth, makes no sense, but hold to the pre-trib belief, which I certainly do, how we are caught up before the tribulation. Marriage, supper of the Lamb, judgment seat of Christ, crowns, rewards, so on and so forth, and then we come back to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. When you see these things begin to come to pass, then look up. And lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. What things? 25. Signs in the sun, in the moon, and the stars, in reference to the second advent, not the rapture. And upon the earth, distress of nations, perplexity uh, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. Revelation says they will attempt to kill themselves. Mass suicides. And the Lord will say, no, you're not going anywhere. You're going to stay put and suffer. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. So it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. Son of man deals with Israel. Son of man deals with Adam. Son of God deals with with the Father. John's Gospel will harmonize the three offices, the three parts of the Lord's personage. And then shall they see the Son of Man in the context, first and foremost, those that got saved during the tribulation, looking for his return, checking the skies on a regular basis. Where is he? 
When's he coming back? Contrast that to unbelieving Jews. Revelation chapter 1. Mocking him. Refusing to bend the knee. But one day they will. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption joyeth nigh. Go to chapter 22. Matthew, Mark and Luke, Synoptic Gospels, deal with the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of Man, Son of David, in reference to his relationship with Israel. John's Gospel, Son of God, harmonizes nicely with the Pauline epistles, dealing with his relationship to the church. 22, 66. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, and if I also ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. Counsel, counsel. Check out counsel sometime. Check out Council of Trent sometime. Count, uh, check out uh, Council of Nicaea sometime. Check out uh, the councils in the scripture, like uh, John chapter 11. They took a council. They held a council to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ. The term council in the New Testament and throughout the history of Christendom is always anti-Christ. Acts chapter 15, it's a conference. It's a gathering of saved people. But when a council like Trent, Carthage, Nicaea, or John 11 is called, or when you find a council, it's always affiliated or it's always linked to apostasy, and in some cases even death. Tell us, are you the Christ? Are you the, uh, are you the Messiah? Are you the anointed one? And he said unto them, If I tell you, you will not believe. Going back to, you've seen me working. You've been interrogating me. You've seen my apostles work. You've heard the preaching. And yet it's made no difference. Why should I tell you anything else? Why should I answer your questions? And if I also ask you, you will not answer me. Nor let me go. This is almost like a paradox. God is sovereign, man is not. God allows man to enjoy free will, and yet God can use man, and he will use man to further his plans, to work all things together for good, to those who love God, to those who are the called, according to his purpose. And here, Jesus Christ, as a son of man, son of David, is very submissive, and is completely correct in what he says. If I answer you, or if I ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. In other words, you've already made up your minds that I'm guilty, you've been plotting and planning my demise. Hereafter, shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God? And they said all, art thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. In other words, you said it, buddy. You guys said it. I've been preaching for three and a half years that I am the Son of God, Son of Man, and yes, Son of David. There are three parts to my personage. I am linked back to Adam based on the fall 
of man. I am linked back to Abraham based on the promises given to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And I'm linked directly, uniquely to the Father, being the only begotten Son of God. As far as Abraham is concerned, I am the promised Messiah. Deuteronomy chapter 18. The Jews were saved by believing on a promise. The body of Christ is saved by believing on the one who gave the promise. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, Art thou then the Son of God? Are you the Son of God? They've been waiting ages to ask him this. And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. In other words, what you've just said is so. And by you asking me this, you've judged yourselves. And they said, What need we any further witness? For we ourselves... For we ourselves, for we ourselves have heard of his own mouth. And these guys one day will arrive at the judgment and see the Lord Jesus Christ and have to answer to him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine living back in the first century, seeing the Lord Jesus Christ? monitoring his miracles, meeting people that were healed by him, like the blind man, John chapter 9 is it, and they kick him out to the synagogue, dismissing all those wonderful miracles, dying, and then facing him one more time in the judgment. 23 Verse 9, then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. So they pass him around like past the parcel. It falls to the priests, first of all, to interrogate him via their counsel. When that fails, they hand him over to Pilate. And when that fails, he goes to Herod. Look at verse 12. And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together. For before they were enmity between themselves. Like these anti-Trinitarians. Teaming up with Muslims and Jews. Or these dispensationalists teaming up with Calvinists. That deny Christ's blood was spilt for the whole world. Or these anti-King James people teaming up with Roman Catholics and using Catholic Bibles. What is going on? I mean, how much worse can it get? And here Herod and Pilate are now friends as a result of their hatred and rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to chapter 24, please. Chapter 24. Look at verse 6. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. He's come up out of the tomb, first day of the week. And that's why we break bread, those of us which are saved, on the first day of the week. We don't follow the Jews. We don't follow the SDA people. We don't mark the Sabbath. We are New Testament Christians. We're not under the law. We're not Old Testament Jews. 
we are New Testament Bible believers. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulchre and told all these things unto eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. Women were allowed to witness this. Women were allowed to uh, declare this because the apostles, all men of course, not women, were partly under the judgments of the Lord, going back to those two guys on the road to Emmaus. And because of their unbelief, their eyes were temporarily shut, their ears were temporarily sealed, unable to hear further truths, and as a result, they missed out on a great blessing. And it would fall to the women to uh, brief the men as a sign of, a, of, uh, of a sign of judgment due to their apostasy. If you find women today that preach or teach, that's as a result of the apostasy in the body of Christ. Women were never called to be apostles. Women were never called to write the Bible. Adam was made first, then Eve. Eve was Adam's help mate. When you find women having ministries or being preachers and teachers or being evangelists or what have you, or vicars, that's another form of anti-Christian uh, teachings. Going back to, again, second. Timothy chapter 4, verses 3, 4, and 5. 24, 25. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? You fools! He's calling the church fools, and I'm calling those that are anti Trinitarian fools. I'm calling anti-dispensationalists fools, I'm calling anti-King James people fools, and I'm calling anti-once-saved-always-saved people fools as well. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures of things concerning himself. It's a wonderful scripture dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ chastising his church and he will chastise the church at the judgment seat of Christ. A lot of Christians today, a lot of professing Christians today are being chastised in ways that we don't really know. 41. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meats? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. Before he would have to eat to survive as a son of man, son of David, but here he's eating because he wants to. A glorified body, go back to the Old Testament, angels would eat. Not to survive, but to be social, if you will. Back in the Old Testament, angels could sleep. Not because they had to, but again to be social. To fit in with their audience or their guests, if you will. Have ye here any meat? Gave him a broad fish 
and a honeycomb took it and did eat before them, picturing, first of all, his glorified state, elsewhere he'd walk through doors, and also picturing the fact that when we are in heaven, we too are going to be like him. We're going to get new bodies, and our bodies will be like his glorious body, and we will ditch our vile bodies. 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me, the Messiah, the Son of God, Son of Man, not the Trinity per se, the Trinity per se was given to the church, the Trinity per se was revealed to the church, you have veiled references to the Trinity back in the Old Testament, but specific references, specific revelations, detailed verses like there are three that bear record, the Word, the Father and the Spirit, that's New Testament stuff. The Father and I are one, you haven't lied to men, but God, that's New Testament stuff. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. So the Lord is speaking to his church, eyewitnesses. They spent three and a half years with him. When push came to shove, the men would scarper, would hit the bricks like they say, would run for the hills. Only John stayed put, a picture of a faithful Christian throughout the history of the church who gets five crowns at the judgment seat of Christ. The women, for the most part, stayed faithful. Most of the men did not. And here he's clipping their wings. He's rebuking them, a picture of what will take place, I believe, at the judgment seat of Christ concerning apostate Christians that have just given up and are following false teachers, fake teachings, fraudulent doctrines, and on top of that, are preaching such, and are attacking classical Christianity like Trinitarianism, Dispensationalism, once saved, always saved, the inerrancy of the King James Bible, and those people, if they don't repent, are going to get a severe whipping at the judgment seat. 44, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things, that all things, that all things must be fulfilled. There's still two or three hundred prophecies concerning the Messiah which will take place at the second advent, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Three parts of the Old Testament, and no reference to the Apocrypha whatsoever. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. I wish people could get a blessing today like this. Those that have gone overboard, and are now rank heretics, said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Christ being Messiah, the Anointed One, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, with his authority among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. He will give you repentance. He will grant you repentance, Acts chapter 5, 
Acts chapter 11. He will give you grace. Ephesians chapter 2. And he will give you faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. From memory. He will draw you unto him. He died for you. And he gives you the works to produce, the fruits to bear. Ephesians 2.10. What more do you need? What more do you need? He's done it all for you. He's gone to the cross. He's tasted death for every man. He's drawn all men unto him. He's granted repentance to the Jews, Acts chapter 5, and he's granted repentance to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, Acts chapter 11. John chapter 12, he's drawn all men unto him. Ye are witnesses of these things in reference to the apostles, of course. So what you've had this morning from a bitterly cold open-air pulpit, and yes, I know it's my own fault uh, for coming up <laughs> to the open-air pulpits in the dead of winter, but it's so important. It is so important for those of us which have teaching ministries to push back this tidal wave of false teachings, to rebuke these false teachers, and there's so many of them now, and to try and put a line in the sand and say, so those that are for us, stand with us, going back to the Old Testament, where Moses came down from the mount. There had been fornication, sin in the camp. And he said, who's on my side? And all the Levites jumped to their feet and stood with Moses. And all the others stood elsewhere. And what was it? 23,000 died. God killed thousands due to idolatry, which is what modalism is a perversion of the nature of God, a carving up of the nature of God. That's what the Catholic Church do. They carve them up, they bring them down from heaven, crucify them afresh. And those that were with Moses, a picture of the household of Christ, were saved, they were spared. And those that were not of the household of Moses, the household of Christ, were destroyed. Now, I don't know if these people that are attacking some of the doctrines which I've looked at this morning are all unsaved, hell-bound sinners. I don't know that. I always try to cut people a bit of slack, give people a bit of grace. Only God knows whether or not people are saved. It was once said that only three people know for sure whether somebody is truly saved, the person in question, the devil, and Almighty God. That's very true. We don't know for sure whether these false teachers, these heretics, are saved or not. I haven't met these people, and nor have you. And that's another thing that uh, needs to be mentioned. A lot of these people online that are attacking some of these doctrines have got quite a following, and their disciples are falling all over themselves to defend their masters, their cult leaders, and yet how many of you people have met some of the guys that you are defending online? Do you know these guys personally? Have you spent time with these guys personally? If you haven't, why are you so quick to embrace them. Why are you so quick to be associated with them? Be careful who you associate with and pick your friends very carefully. So, on that stern warning, I'm going to wrap this message up now. 
It is now minus one degrees Celsius, uh, bitterly cold. But I want to continue to come up to the open air pulpits and finish this current series of videos looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, his three part personage, his three part being. Jesus Christ is a triune being in the sense of a body, soul and spirit, in the sense of son of man, son of God, son of David. I reject this modalism movement, I reject this anti-dispensational movement, I reject the anti-King James movement, and I reject the conditional security movement. These are all heresies, these are all dangerous doctrines, almost bordering uh, doctrines of devils, First Timothy chapter 4. And mark my words, things will get worse, not better. There'll be a further falling away, a further level of uh, apostasy and also apathy, a further rejection of sound doctrine and a more common uh, alignment with false teachers and false uh, teachings. Things have to get worse before they get better. Jesus Christ said when he came back, would he find much faith, any faith on the earth? And the answer was almost none whatsoever based on the apostasy that is uh, endemic all around us and also based on the fact that when he does come back two-thirds of the earth have been destroyed based on their sins and their rejections and their rebellions against him. So on that bleak statement from a very bitterly cold open-air pulpit, so I'm going to wrap this message up, sign out and next week, Lord willing, return and do one more and one last video, I think, for now on this particular subject, looking at Jesus Christ from the standpoint of the Son of God. God's only begotten Son, not his one and only Son. That doesn't make any sense. Adam is called the Son of God, and so too are angels. Only begotten, monogonis, unique from the Father, begotten from the Father via Mary. And I hope that video, along with this one and last week's, will fit nicely and be a blessing to those of you which are in a spiritual spin not sure whether you're coming or going and hopefully you can uh, get a blessing from next week's video this week's and last week's and abandon some of the heresy uh, some of the heretics and heresies which continue to do the rounds and on that statement may i wish you every blessing and happiness in the wonderful name of our triune god god the father God the Son and God the Holy Ghost. Amen and Amen.